All right, so we're going to now read from Philippians chapter 1. Uh, this morning we're reading verses 12 through to 18. So Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest of, that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some from, uh, from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add, my, add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defence of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. This is God's word. Would you join me as we pray once more before we study this together today? Let's pray. Lord God, as we look at your word once more and we uh, come with thankfulness to looking at yet another part of this wonderful letter to the Philippians, we pray that you would be at work within each one of our hearts and minds and our souls we might know your truth this morning. We might love you all the more as a result of our time spent in your word together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we, we began our new series on Philippians with a focus on what seemed to be, through those first 11 verses of chapter 1, a relentless thankfulness that Paul had for the church in Philippi. Now this morning, as we continue through verses 12 to 18, we see the thankfulness of Paul continue. And as that continues, Paul takes his thankfulness, not just being this feeling that he has of thankful, but he converts that thankfulness into a particular action. And that action is, is rejoice. This morning I've titled the sermon, Rejoice in the Gospel. Now, just a quick note about the book of Philippians. We we are, in having seen last week, the first 11 verses, those verses are really, really foundational for the rest of the letter. Those verses are very much a theme-setting introduction. Now, many commentators suggest that verse 12 is the actual beginning of the body of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Some say it starts at verse 3, others say it starts at verse 12. Now, the reason there's a separation there is that Paul really has been saying, Hi. And that's really what the first 11 verses are about. Verse 12 through to, to verse 36 of chapter, of verse 30 of chapter 1 rather. There is no verse 36. 12 through to verse 30 of chapter 1. Paul is talking about his mission work that he's, done, he's gone on. How things have gone sharing the gospel. It's a mission update. Now because there's so much we're covering in here, we're going to cover this over a few weeks. So the idea that Paul giving an account of his mission work to people who had supported both uh, spiritually through prayers and physically through uh, financial means and other means of just being there to encourage him, we, we need to keep that as an underlying thought as we approach this text today. Now this morning we've only got two points. 
Now, it's not because I'm not Presbyterian, it's just I thought this was the best way to handle the text. So, the first point is faith that turns the tables. And secondly, we see the gospel's power. So, we'll, we'll first look at faith that turns the tables. Now, once more, as we begin these first few verses here, verses 12 to 14, remember that Paul is giving an update of his mission journey to the Philippians. A few years ago, I heard a, a report from a missionary. Now, we, we see many missionary updates as a church. We receive some which we, we forward on to you, and some of us might support missionaries uh, separate from the church, which is a really great thing to do. Now, this one missionary uh, that I heard these reports from was serving the Lord in a, an island location. Now, I'm going to keep this very vague. He was in a very nice part of the world. Uh, he, he got to this island and he began to work really, really hard for the gospel. There was indisputable evidence of his, his labours for the Lord, his love for the people in this place. He, he was pumping out all sorts of literature and, and Bible teaching curriculums. And by God's grace, the church there was growing, not just numerically, but, but growing spiritually. Their, their love for each other was just so evident. That effort continued for a while, but over a few years, it began to, to taper off just a little bit. He seemed to become less fervent for the, the work of the gospel, and his letters to, to his supporters basically turned into holiday photos of he and his family at the beach. Now, long story short, it, it left a bit of a bad taste in the mouth of, of those who had been financially supporting this work. We were praying that the gospel would be preached, and, and he wasn't really preaching the gospel. He wasn't really working hard for the gospel. It seemed he wasn't really working at all. Sadly, that was the case. Now, you might be wondering, how does that relate to Paul in prison? Well, I think when you look at the end goal, sometimes when we look at what's happening, we want to see clearly object, uh, objectable goals that are set, that are accomplished, and Paul being in prison may not seem like those goals of advancing the gospel are being met. We might be thinking perhaps there's a lot of boxes that Paul is meant to be ticking that just aren't being ticked. Now, perhaps we show more grace to someone in Paul's situation when he's in prison, as opposed to someone who's just on the beach. But there's other questions that arise from this as well. You got the question, of course, is, is it worth it to continue supporting Paul? But one of the questions that might come up is, is faith really worth it if this is the end result? Do we believe in a gospel that's just going to, to lead us up the garden path, to lead us into to hardship, into difficulty, into trials, into prison, and that's all we have to show for it? The church in Philippi was fairly new. They were, at least on a numerical basis, fairly young in their faith. And perhaps it's possible that some of those were asking those questions about the, 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 the value of being a Christian, and perhaps even some of those more clinically minded among them were, were questioning whether it was actually worth supporting Paul as he continued to try and advance the gospel. Perhaps that question, is it worth continuing to support him, was a conceptual one that they raised and just stayed inside their head without them actually voicing it. 
Whatever the case, Paul, Paul deals with many concerns that could come up from his being in prison just beautifully in verses 12 to 14. Paul is filling these verses with, with wonderful assurances, which has application for the church in Philippi, and it has application for every single believer outside of Philippi, continuing to today, when it comes to the continued spread of the gospel. What Paul says in these verses, basically, if your faith is genuine, if you love the Lord your God, it is worth it. Now, last week I said, if you were to summarize the book of Philippians into to one word, encouragement might be the word that you would use. It's a word that I would use for it. I think we see that here. Faith is worth it. Faith in Christ is always 100% worth it. Paul, at the time he's writing this, is in chains. He's in prison. He might not be, and probably definitely isn't, in the geographical location that the Philippians had, had expected him to be at. But if you look at these verses, the gospel marches on. Even in chains, even in prison, there is nothing, still nothing has been found that can prevent people from hearing and believing the gospel by God's grace. Paul in prison refers to his situation in verse 12 as having been a success. It's not just throwing careless words about, just being, uh, Pollyanna's a great word, just being unrealistically optimistic. He is not being those things. He is being real here. He says that his situation, even his situation, is a success. He says that what's happened to him has actually caused the gospel to be heard by even more people. He talks about the palace guard having heard the gospel. He talks about all the rest, all these other people around the place, in the palace and elsewhere nearby, have heard the gospel. Now, the palace guard were not people who were easily accessible on a mission trip. You very rarely found someone who was always scraping together a living, being welcomed into a palace. But here's Paul reaching the palace guards with the gospel. When we see a situation that we would say is heading south, Paul in prison, it's heading south. It's not what we would expect. We can very easily think that game over. Game over. That's it. We're done. What was the point of all of that? Why did we support Paul if all that was going to happen is he just ends up in prison? What a waste. We might be tempted to think that. Paul doesn't let the Philippians or us think that, though. What we see here is a live, active, powerful faith that flips the tables of expectations. We hear someone who's, we hear that someone's in prison. We expect it to be the worst. We expect this to be the worst news. That's certainly not pleasant. But Paul didn't go on this mission journey to, to be comfortable. He wasn't just going on the most luxurious cruises to get around the Mediterranean cities and, and talk to people on occasion about the gospel. Paul's mission journey was about the gospel being heard and the Spirit working in hearts to bring them to a saving faith and belief in the gospel, it was not about personal gain. 
Paul was there to share the gospel regardless of personal cost. This is what it was for Paul to be faithful. It's a wonderful example. It's an example that challenges us. Perhaps there are times where you've felt as if the work environment is, is too hostile to, to the faith for it to be openly shared. Perhaps for, for the kids. Perhaps for your kids, there's times where, where the other friends you have at school, other kids in your grade or grades around you might, might tease you for being, the, being a Christian. Now these are not pleasant circumstances to experience. The teasing at school is certainly not nice. That hostility at work towards Christian values, the Christian faith, that is not a pleasant thing to be on the receiving end of. But where we are given opportunity to share the gospel, share the gospel because there is no barrier to the gospel being heard and believed. Paul is in prison. Paul is in prison for sharing the gospel. Paul is in prison for telling others about life in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Paul is not in prison because he sought out undue persecution by just being a yahoo or insulting people. He is imprisoned because he shared the gospel. Perhaps we think that's game over, but now, still now, Nothing is stopping the gospel reaching the hearts of those around Paul. As Christians, what this shows us is that we really do have a faith that turns the tables of human expectations. We have a faith that, that is never wasted. Sharing our faith is never a wasted effort. God's word is amazing. God's word will keep piercing hearts, even hard hearts. The, the mission journey Paul was on had taken a, it had taken a sharp turn left, according to human expectations. Verses 12 to 14. God's will and the gospel prevail in all things. And Christians, like Paul mentioned in verse 14, are encouraged by this. Our confidence in the Lord grows by this testimony. Faith turns the tables on our expectations. And secondly, we see as Paul is there to share the gospel, we see this morning the gospel's power. So as we come to our, our second and our final point this morning, we see that we are to be encouraged by the gospel power. This is something that we began to see in those verses we just looked at in verses 12 to 14. But as we go to verses 15 to 18, Paul takes this to, he goes to the next level. As we look at these, take special note of verse 18, which I believe is the culmination of these verses. It's a verse that, that really should smack us between the eyes. Paul's spoken about hardship, he's spoken about people uh, preaching Christ, some for the right reasons, they get a small mention here. But he focuses on more on those who preach from envy and strife. Those who preach to, to add affliction 
to his chains, he says in verse 16. We look at verse 18, after having said that, Paul says something that should hit us right between the eyes. Whether Christ is preached in pretense or truth, Paul will rejoice. And just to make it clear, he says twice that he will rejoice. Wow. Let's think about that for a little bit. Because when I say this smacks us right between the eyes, this is challenging. Over the last few weeks, in preparation for today's sermon, knowing that this this passage was coming up, I've spoken with a whole heap of elders and um, just lay people in churches, normal people in churches, people who who love the Bible. And primarily I've spoken to elders in uh, various denominations that hold to Reformed theology, including our own. I asked them whether they think that as Christians who hold to and as elders have a particular responsibility to teach Reformed theology, whether we might be too willing at times to, to, be, to be right and see flaws in other believers and shortcomings in other churches rather than, resor- rather than rejoice in Christ's proclamation. Now, I asked that question because that's something that I struggle with. Pretty much everyone I spoke to said yes. That is a danger that we face. Now I want to be clear about a few things. We really should and must care about getting it right when we handle God's Word. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about getting God's Word right. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about being having the best understanding of God's Word. We absolutely should. It is our responsibility to do this. Paul last week in those first 11 verses talked about an increase in discernment. As we increase in discernment, we better understand God's word. It's important. I'm not saying it's not important. God's word, hearing God's word. Romans 10, how will they believe if they haven't heard? It's God's word that saves us. It's God's word that tells us most clearly about the person of God. It's God's word that tells us most clearly about the things that God has done. It's God's word that guides us through every single circumstance that we might face in life. This is not something where we should ever have an attitude about where we say, close enough is good enough. That should never be us. And I also want to be clear that while there are many there are reasons for different denominations being in existence. We are the Presbyterian Reformed Church of Australia. We believe that what we preach and what we practice in terms of church government is faithful to Scripture. To be completely blunt, if we did not think that, if we did not believe that, if we didn't teach according to our convictions accordingly, then we have absolutely no business being here. We should just close up shop. A few clarifying things there. See, Paul and what I'm saying this morning is not that we should rejoice because we pretend to agree about things that we actually disagree about. We can have theological distinctives. We should be faithful to our convictions about Scripture. But we should never 
Let that get in the way of rejoicing when we hear Christ preach. That is what Paul is talking about. Paul talks about people preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. Now, you would not preach Christ out of selfish ambition if you had a genuine, soul-saving faith granted to you by God. You just wouldn't. You wouldn't preach Christ to, to add to someone's suffering, to, to add to someone's afflictions if you were saved by God Almighty. But still, these guys who do this, when they preach Christ, Paul rejoices. He doesn't rejoice because of the manner and the methods these guys have when they go about preaching Christ. I'm sure if Paul ran into these guys, he'd have something to say to them about how they conducted themselves and their motives in ministry. But still he finds room not just to be thankful, not just have a feeling of thanks that Christ is, is, is preached, but to put that into action and to, to rejoice, to rejoice at the preaching of Christ. What a challenge that is. But we can take up this challenge because the gospel is powerful. When we preach Christ, whether that's somebody in the pulpit, whether that's you sharing the gospel with your friends, co-workers, schoolmates, whoever it is, when we preach Christ, we do not trust our words or how convincing we are to win souls. Neither do we trust how convincing we are or how wonderful we are to build up Christians around us, to help grow people around us. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. When people hear, when people hear the gospel of Christ, when they hear, hear the full counsel of God, when they hear Christ preached, when they hear of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the second person of the Trinity, we should pray that God would work in their lives and, and that they would respond to the words of life that are the found in Jesus' teachings, that are found within the gospel of God. Whether they've heard the best sermon ever, whether they've heard the worst sermon ever, that should be our prayer and rejoice that Christ is preached. I'll admit there are times when you hear a sermon that you cringe. I'm sure I've said things you guys have cringed at at times. Talk to me about those things. Because I want to serve faithfully and to the best of my ability. But rather than cringing being our immediate response, let's, let's rejoice that Christ is preached. Rejoice because faith is evidence of the gospel's power. Our faith was granted to us when God's Spirit moved within us to bring us even to the most basic understanding of the words we heard about Christ. There are people. There really are people. I'm sure we know and can identify some of these people who preach Christ face, uh, chasing fame, money, power, 
esteem, so many things other than just a genuine, heartfelt love for God, for God who saved them. This is as true today as it was for Paul when he began to give this mission journey update so long ago. While we don't rejoice in their motives or maybe even the methods of these people who preach Christ in such a way, we rejoice that Christ is preached. And if we rejoice when Christ is preached by people who preach out of, out of envy and strife or to add to the affliction of those who are faithful, how much more should we rejoice when Christ is preached in other faithful churches by faithful men and faithful women talking to people around them and children sharing the love of God? How much more should we rejoice in that situation? A few ways where that's evident for us as a, as a denomination. We've received an invitation as a denomination to send a representative to the Westminster Presbyterian Church of Australia's National Assembly, which is taking place in September. That is a group of 13, maybe 14 now churches who preach faithfully. Rejoice for the way they proclaim Christ. The PRC have formed a formal sister relationship with the Reformed Church of New Zealand. Rejoice that they preach Christ. Peter Vanderwill and his wife Joanna are continuing the work the PRC began in Vanuatu. They are from the Reformed Churches of New Zealand. Rejoice for them. Rejoice for their faithful proclamation of Christ in Vanuatu. Any future ministry students in the PRC will be studying primarily, at least, with the Reformed Theological College in Geelong, which is part of the Christian Reformed Church of Australia. Rejoice for that ministry. In fact, a, a former PRC elder from, from Melbourne who now worships at a CRCA church in the absence of one of our churches in Melbourne is on the board of that college. Rejoice in the godly leadership of that college. Rejoice in the godly teaching and the training and the raising up of godly men and, men and women to promote the gospel from that place. Now that's just a small number of places Christ is preached faithfully. There are more. There are heaps more. In all of this, we are meant to express our thanks to God by means of rejoicing. Rejoice because God's word, when people hear of God, when God's word goes forth, God's word does not return to him empty and void. Rejoice because despite our inadequacy, despite our a lack of eloquence. God can use even our preaching of his word to save lives and to build up the church. Interestingly, it's uh, probably some of the, the worst sermons I've preached, in my opinion, have been the ones that people have commented on as being the most uh, of most blessing to them. See, we have so many evidences of the gospel's power. And the gospel goes forth. It goes forth mightily. It saves souls. It wins people out of darkness and into the kingdom. So to wrap things up this morning, remember that no prison or circumstance stands in the way of the gospel continuing its forward march. No prison 
no chains, no earthly barrier will ever derail the advancement of and growth of God's kingdom, which happens through his word being heard and preached. And rejoice. Rejoice that God's word is powerful. Rejoice that God's word has a power to save souls. And when we hear that Christ has been proclaimed, pray that souls might be won out of darkness and that saints might be built up. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this small but powerful part of your word. We thank you for what Paul reports here is mission journey. We pray that we would adopt an attitude similar to Paul's where we don't see limits or barriers to, to our, our service to you because of our circumstances, but that we might still strive to be faithful to you in whatever situation we might face. Lord God, we thank you for the power of your gospel. We thank you that your gospel has broken into our, our formerly hard hearts, that your gospel has given us new life, that we, have been, that we have been brought to a life that we did not have before by your grace. We pray that everywhere Christ is proclaimed, that souls might be one and that we might rejoice, that we might rejoice that you are proclaimed. We pray that those who hear the message, the declaration, the proclamation of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ might have discernment, that they might understand your word right. And we pray that your spirit might grant that both in the world around us and in us too. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.